Hey everybody, this is Chad. Uh, third week in a row, we have a great guest. I am really looking forward to it. I met this guy in Omaha, absolutely fantastic. Just wanted to let you guys know, uh, a reminder, if you haven't heard, if you're just starting to listen, if you skip through the front and you forgot to this time, Acme Comedy Company, the first weekend in March. Um, I will be there, I'm gonna record, uh, it's, it's four through six, I'm gonna record an album, maybe a special, we don't know, but I have to get the hour that I was doing before the pandemic out of my head. I have to get it out. And so if you saw me last time at Acme, just know it's the, it's that hour. I, but I have to get it on an album so I can go forward and start mo uh, working on new stuff. Um, I appreciate you guys. And, uh, and, and, and Cy is doing fine, just so you know. He's just not doing the podcast uh, for a little bit. So that is it. Uh, hey, I have an idea. Let's start. Hey, everybody, this is Chad Daniels, and you have landed in the middle of somewhere. Thank you for coming back once again for the third straight week in a row. We have a guest. Sai is uh, just taking some time off to... Uh, to better, better things. Um, <laughs> how's that for an explanation? He's taking some time off to better things. That sounds like the fakest reason ever, but uh, it's it's as accurate as I can be. That's what I'm. That's what I'm going to tell you. We'll have a written statement from his attorneys, uh, maybe next week. But in the meantime, we have another great guest. As my voice cracks, that's right. Forty-five haven't hit puberty yet. Um, we had Joe Zimmerman, we had Josh Sneed, and uh, I've been getting great messages about them. The fact that everyone thinks I picked the best guests. Well, guess what? I'm going to go three for three. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Kellen Erskine. Hey. How are you? I'm great, man. I'm so excited to do this. I'm excited that it's working. I am too. Yesterday, so to break down the fourth wall here, yesterday we tried to record this on Wednesday when the Capitol was overrun with camouflage and uh, GoPro helmets. With people making a difference. That's right. They solved it. Everything's done. They fixed it. <laughs> and uh, four people are dead. Congratulations. You did it. But you know what was great? At least it wasn't a target. Thank goodness. <laughs> Because I remember when the Target was looted, and man, people were mad. Yet uh, those same folks thought, well, I'm going to climb this wall that has E Pluribus Unum on it and see if that makes it. I don't even know what E Pluribus Unum is. Learn our language, buddy. Who, who built this? A Mexican? What's this, Mexican? Um, don't care anymore, by the way. Go ahead and message me about it. I thought you were keeping politics out of it. Idiots absolute idiots it is so disgusting anyways uh i live in a town where the high school mascot colors are maroon and gold but they may as well be hunter orange and camo and that's a fact <laughs> i have nine friends here and that's just fine with me um listen let's get to it i want to tell the people how uh no i'm not done yet i think that i feel my, uh, so my internet was down. That's what happened. My internet was down. That's why we couldn't record. It kept cutting out. And I think that um, just a guy poured his Mountain Dew 
and his spitter bottle onto the mainframe at the internet place. And that's what happened because it was it was somebody trying to make a difference all the way this far away from Washington, D.C. <laughs> now that I've had my chance to spaz out on the most ridiculous people on planet Earth, I'd like to tell you how I know Kellen. Do you mind if I tell him the whole story? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I may interrupt I mean, with part of it, yeah. Well, please do. But yeah. I, I'm saying, you're saying I can do it from the time I walked in the green room to the time I left town. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Here we go. Um, so Patrick Keene and I were doing a tour that, I, that we coined the I-29 tour. Even though Des Moines, Iowa isn't on I-29, we went to Des Moines. Then we went over to Omaha, which is on I-29. We went down to Kansas City. We went down to Oklahoma City. We went down to Dallas. And so it was a, it was a really fun tour. And uh, some of you may remember it. I know that some of you listened because somebody had uh, Haagen-Dazs cookies and cream pints <laughs> taped like a Madonna bra onto their body in Kansas City. And I choked. I was laughing so hard. So we get to Omaha and there was a miscommunication from my side of things where um, normally I like to have a three person show. Uh, I like to have uh, an MC go up and then a, a feature act or a middle act, and then I like to go up. And it's not necessarily because I don't want to do the time because I still end up going over an hour anyways, but uh, I like people to get a, a good view of a lot of different comedy. I think that's important. So um, we walk into Omaha, and uh, Colleen, the manager there, who I have had, and this is, this is open discussion, I have had a, a bit of a scuffle with her for a couple years. I was fired for using inappropriate language. Uh, I'm going to say language that was deemed inappropriate on stage. <laughs> and she came in, and I will tell you, just a quick aside here, I will tell you that uh, Colleen and I patched things up. We ended up going to breakfast. We ended up having a great conversation. We explained our different sides of things. And, and it was strange that we had a feud going on because we have probably, we are two people that have the most friends in common on planet Earth. So um, we walk in and she says, hey, it's a two-person show, Chad, Patrick. You know you know Patrick. You knew him before. Oh, yeah. Super but, but funny. But they said, Chad, this is Kellen. Kellen, absolutely. He's so funny. And that's one of the reasons I got fired from Omaha in the first place. I was there with Patrick and the crowd wasn't listening to one of my all-time favorite jokes, which is his closer about how the world has always been violent. Mm. And I spazzed. Right when I went on stage, <laughs> I spazzed out and just started just gunslinging people. So um, so we walk in. She says, Kellen, this is Chad. And hey, there's, it's a two-person show. And I was like, oh, that's a bummer. I hate sending someone up that I bring on the road with me to a cold crowd. Uh, and then you volunteered. I did. Because you you were headlining the room for the rest of the week. And you were there a night early because you came in to do morning radio to promote your shows. I was. And this is where I'm going to interrupt. I came in. I was I, I came in a day early to promote. But I, 
uh, I was so excited to to see you as well because like I had I've been listening to you since I was still like working a day job uh, with a water softener company. I would just drive alone in my truck all day, and I found you on Pandora, and you became like my favorite comedian. I'm not just saying this because I'm on on your podcast. So I was I was so excited to see you. I went in the green room. I'm sitting there. I can hear you guys talking outside. And what what happened at first is that you walked in. I know that you guys had been like on a long. You'd driven like 200 miles that day but you walked in you looked at me and you just sort of like continued in the room and you go oh and Colleen says is is there a problem and you go like very passive aggressively still not looking at me you go no I just uh I didn't know anyone else was gonna be in here and I was like oh (laughs) I have all your albums well I so I didn't because she had told me it was a two-person show outside and so I was you know, I thought maybe crowd member walks in. Sure. And I knew that I, that's I, what I you know. thought. So immediately I was like, no, 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 no. I am. A, I mean, I am a fan, but I'm here tomorrow. And I felt like I had to explain sure. very quickly well, so that you would approve. Well, yeah. Me. I mean, I, listen, I talk about camouflage in a, in a, in a non-flattering light. And so I realized <laughs> that's I'm going to get Selena'd someday. And I didn't know. It's like in Omaha. Really? <laughs> Colleen, is this all part of your trap? Um, but but here's what I found fascinating about you as a person is that you were there to headline the weekend mm. and you immediately volunteered to host the show. Now, for people listening, I'm going to tell you, comedians, you, you have to know, are filled with ego. I mean, w- we get on stage and say, I'm going to make strangers laugh. That takes a special kind of crazy. <laughs> That takes a very specific part of the brain to be broken for that to seem like it's going to work out. And so when Kellen said, oh, I'll do it, I, I was flabbergasted. And I immediately thought, well, okay, now I kind of, I have an idea of maybe what your comedy is like. I think maybe it's, it's not, I'm not going to be a fan of it. Because <laughs> it was too nice. <laughs> well, yeah, it was just like, well, this seems fishy. So Kellen gets on stage and I almost want to go into the booth and tell them, don't light him, let him keep going longer. Cause I was, I was floored. It was so stinking funny. <laughs> I mean, I, and I'm not, I'm not just, I'm not building you up here. It was so funny. And for those that don't know, you work clean, which is like, you shouldn't have to say that, but I, I'm always amazed by people that are absolutely clean. Like I would, I would let my young children, if when I had young children, I would let them in to watch you and I would be on the floor laughing. I mean, that's a very hard combination. Well, that's the best kind. Yeah. And I, I've never liked that title. I talked to Nate Bargatze about that one time about how like people call us clean or they'll apologize around us. But it's like the, the best kind, the best kind is, and I think Nate Bargatze is a great example of this is when you can do your set. And then afterwards, maybe when people are driving home, they're like, Oh yeah, I don't think, I don't think he talked about sex. You know, like it, it's an afterthought sure. because the, the priority is just, is just funny. Like, I don't want, I don't want somebody watching a bit going, yeah, I bet this guy does birthday parties. <laughs> I bet, this, <laughs> I bet this guy volunteers to open for every headliner that comes into town. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, listen, it's true. I'm sorry, but the stigma is sure. when you hear clean comedian, you think 
there's an over under on how many times this guy's gonna fall down. <laughs> Which is it's crazy too because it's the only it's the only entertainment medium. Nobody's ever like uh, you know I I love Twenty One Pilots. They're they're a great clean band. <laughs> Lord, give us grace. <laughs> that's a 21 pilot lyric. It isn't. But um, yeah, that's true. It is the only time that you have to do that. Now, I've had I've had gotten emails on the other side of things where I know that I have sworn on stage. I know it because I told you this before. I use the F word sometimes like a valley girl uses or any a lot of millennials will use the word like mm. it's it's a comma. It is a pause in their speech so they can think of what they're going to say next. And sometimes I do that on stage if I'm working on a bit. But I know that I've sworn. And then people will come up and go, we really appreciate your clean comedy. And it's like, <laughs> well, hold on. I mean, I don't <laughs> I mean, I just maybe I talked about some things that you thought weren't sexual. But otherwise, it's it is not clean and, <laughs> and full of attitude. So so anyways, you go up and absolutely murder and I become an instant fan I mean I jump on the Kellen wagon as fast as you can I don't use the ladder I'm on there I leap on there and then we go out later and so I'm like oh this guy's such a great comedian and we go out later and then we just have so much fun you and Patrick and I we had so much fun with you beating me four times at pool well, it's different. Listen, you know, some dads teach their their kids how to throw a football. Some tell them that they're worthy of love. My dad gave me quarters to play darts and pool. So that's uh, that, that's how I win. That's how I've won. So we go out and there's, uh, you know, we're, we're having, I think, a great time. Patrick and I are drinking. You mm. don't drink. I don't. And that leads us to radio <laughs> the next day. We all get up and we go to radio, right? It's the Todd and Tyler show syndicated in a bunch of cities, but their home is Omaha. They have been so good to me over the years. They've been so good to so many comedians. And uh, we walk in and Colleen drives us and it's you and Patrick and myself and you're thirsty. So Colleen goes over and, and in cut back to the night before in the green room, Colleen is pushing this canned water, right? It's <laughs> Black instead of cans. Water, yeah. And so, so it's canned water and so uh, because it's better for the environment. Mm -hmm. And so now we go into uh, Todd and Tyler morning show and you're, you're thirsty. Colleen goes over, gets you a can of water, opens it up. You take a drink. It's not water. That's it not. is like one of those seltzers with alcohol in it. And this is the first I've, I told this story the day I got back. <laughs> So I know people, but I'm just putting a, a, a name with the story. For, yeah, that's your first sip of alcohol in your entire life. Well, I, I had a few. That's the crazy thing. If, you, if you've never had it before, it was like this like berry-infused carbonated water or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I took a few, and I was like, man, these are like – these berries are spicy. Like I've never had this brand. <laughs> So it, it took me way too long to put everything together. Do you think your body was just longing for alcohol because of all the stress <laughs> that comedy has put on you where your body's just fine? Yes. Oh, we did booze, it. he did it. <laughs> Thank you, Satan. <laughs>
So basically, Colleen gave you your first alcohol, mm-hmm. and uh, and I loved it. And I think that's what brought her and I closer together because I was like, "Listen, everybody makes mistakes." <laughs> So you getting knocked off of your lifelong wagon brought Colleen and I closer together. I came straight from an AA meeting to do this podcast, but it's been a good ride. <laughs> yeah, we kept making jokes about the, the next time you're on the, the Todd and Tyler show. They'd be like, hey, tell us about your kids. It's like, well, I haven't seen them in eight months. My wife took them. <laughs> you know, that, uh, that berry alcohol is fantastic. I got a bit of a schnapps problem, so... I've got hard lemonade and shot glasses. <laughs> <laughs> now, Todd and Tyler are the exact opposite. I've been doing this character for the last couple of weeks called Moose in the Morning, where I really dive into it uh, to introduce stories. And Todd and Tyler are the exact opposite. I mean, they they don't they don't lead you into bits. They don't expect you to do bits. They're basically you go on the show and you're part of the show. So they're doing news. They're talking about stories and you just jump in. And, and now you're part of the show. And that's what I appreciate them I, for several reasons, but that's one of them. Sure, yeah. It was great to not, not to have that, like, so, Kellen, how's it going? You like penguins? Yeah, yeah. Do your penguin bit. Well, that's what I'm going to actually uh, do to you right now to get you into the first story. <laughs> well, could I, 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 could I do my um, – could I read you this thing that I wrote for the podcast like 10 months ago? Oh, absolutely. Do you mind if I do that? I've been, I'm so excited to be able to I share this. Uh, I wrote it in as a letter, but I, uh, I, I'm so excited to be able to actually uh, uh, to read. So uh, about maybe February, March, I was watching The Bodyguard. And by the way, I, I'm a fan of the podcast, like the full context. I've listened to every episode twice at this point. And so I think everyone who's in deep in as me is going to appreciate this. Um, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm getting nervous. My heart's starting to race a little bit because I know how clever you are. And I'm just wondering like, Ooh, how's this going to go? <laughs> my, uh, my wife and I were watching the bodyguard and parts of it started to, um, come out to me, like sort of this connection, you know, how, uh, uh people find how the Abraham Lincoln and JFK's assassinations are connected. That's what <laughs> that's oh, sure. what the arguable 1992 classic The Bodyguard is for the middle of somewhere. It's like a retroactive homage. So I just I've got I've got 9 points. I've gotten time to to rewrite them during uh during lockdown. It's mostly what I did. It's <laughs> started with 17. Now it's a a concise nine, but I've got, I've got nine reasons why why the bodyguard is is the uh, middle of somewhere spirit animal. So number one uh, might be the most obvious one. Kevin Costner, sure, it's part of part of Kevin the dog's full name. But- fring frong, fring frong, Kevin the dog. Didn't know you were gonna, gonna get one of those on a guest episode, did you? It's been too Boom. long. We are back. We are <laughs> it was back. Like, that was like getting the thumbs up from Johnny. Thank you. <laughs> and that brings us to number two. In the movie, Kevin Cosner plays a guy named Frank, which is at least one of the words in Kevin the Dog's theme song. <laughs> Oh man, you! I can already tell this is a deep dive. <laughs> Number three, 
In the movie, one of Kevin Cosner's old security buddies is played by Jerry Bamman, who also starred in Home Alone as Uncle Frank. Oh, my God. And whose uncle is he, Chad? Kevin's. Kevin's, yeah. Mm -hmm. Kevin! (laughs) By the way, isn't it crazy that in Home Alone, the dad couldn't care less? That's so blows my mind every time that the mom was like Gah! and the dad's just like can we just get to paris like <laughs> i think that's really playing on the uh the you know the idea of the mother father role in a family mm-hmm. where it's just like oh this is you don't know this guy but he's the guy that goes he's gone from eight until five and then comes home and reads the paper that's your dad it's just just crazy that it's his own father i guess we see it differently you as someone who's great at pool (laughs) that's a nice way to say it and me because even at the end of the movie when the dad walks in he just comes in he's like huh and then just goes into the kitchen right yeah i don't i definitely um don't understand uh the home alone dad because my dad would have been like hey can i just get to paris there's no we involved it's just can i get out of the country? hey does can they bring me back from paris for writing bad checks <laughs> just make sure kevin doesn't use any of that uh, used paint for pranks i was going to try and resell that <laughs> so number four in the bodyguard whitney houston has an agent who is handsome and unlikable. His name is Cy. <laughs> is this true? A hundred percent. Oh, I, I'm gonna watch the bodyguard and go through these. Well, you need to. You need to because he doesn't. He doesn't necessarily look like Cy, but he looks more like Cy than anyone else in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And by the way, full disclosure, like I don't want to, uh, I was hoping that I'd be able to, to, to tell Sai this too. I, I don't mean to talk behind his back. Sai is, I think you and I can agree, Sai is unlikable in the way that when you meet him, he's, he's like, he's so good looking, you don't want to like him. That's the way of, that's the unlikable yeah, he's, that he is. He's, he's good looking to the point where you're not even willing to give him a chance. Sure. <laughs> I wrote I wrote you guys a letter on your first Q&A last year, the story about how I met Cy in Nebraska, another Nebraska story, at the Great American Comedy Festival, uh, where he, right. he came in wearing an army jacket that he got at like a surplus store, a thrift store. And yep. uh, he was like, I think this works on me. And he like, he got all of it. It was like a magic trick. I think I said in the letter that it was dirty. It wasn't, it wasn't dirty, but it was an army jacket. But it could have been dirty. It didn't matter. He's just so good looking. Like he could have, he could have walked in he could have like punched a, a head hole and leg holes in a one man tent and walked in and gone, you think this works? And I would right. have been like, I need to buy one of those, <laughs> but it has nothing. He just, to- <laughs> he just makes stuff work. Hey, I'm going to tell. So, um, Hey everybody, I'm shy. And I just <laughs> bought this jacket and I think it looks great on me. I don't know what you guys think. And it's like, I haven't looked at your jacket cause I can't stop looking at your beautiful eyes. You <laughs> jerk. Now, Cy got me into, uh, he loves marine layer clothing. Mm. He just loves, he loves that because it's so comfortable. And he got me into it. And I go, hey, what size do you wear? And he goes, oh, I wear a large. And I was like, all right, no problem. So Mm. then I I could wear a large. And I bought it. And no, that's not how it works. (laughs) You go on the website and it's like, uh, just like the model in the picture is 
Six five, 150 pounds wearing a medium. It's like, well, I'm not that. It's like someone grabbed me by the head and the feet and stretched me. I mean, there's no chance that. I, so now I have to guess. There's no there's no model that's like, ooh, the model wearing this hoodie uh, can feel his back fat shake when he goes over railroad tracks. He's 5'10 and 200 pounds and he wears a nobody knows. Because he has to tuck in his hoodie because it's too long because he needs a hoodie that'll fit his shoulders and his stomach, but still be regular length. It's like no chance. There's no chance I can do it. So if you joined the army, they would be like, how do we equip this guy for battle? We just. I have a body where it's I walk in and people are like, can we get the tailor on the phone? <laughs> Nothing in here is going to be right for him. He's got weird. He's got weird dimensions. <laughs> Okay, I'm ready. So number five, halfway through the movie, halfway through the bodyguard, the main characters move to a lake house. And halfway through what will be Chad's life, he bought a lake house. (laughs) I'm into it. (laughs) Number six, the words the bodyguard form anagrams that describe both both you and Cy. I want to see if you can guess which one belongs to who, okay? So the anagrams... I mean, switching all the letters around to to form different words. The explanation wasn't for you. It was for any capital protesters who subscribe. Oh, listen, we've uh, had messages calling us libtards, <laughs> and then they give us – we've had reviews of the show, libtard, and two stars. They still still didn't have the heart to give us one. They gave us two. <laughs> so crazy. You don't have to listen. <laughs> I know. So the anagrams from the bodyguard are dad, bother, guy <laughs> – and guy bother dad who do you think is who well i think dad bother guys me <laughs> and i think guy bother dad is Cy. that's it here's a here's a bonus anagram uh guess one more who this is bath dude orgy now <laughs> that's easily sign his dad <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. in, Cincin- in a cincinnati you, hotel you got both of them uh on separate occasions and uh, this is for people you have to listen from from episode one uh great stories separate occasions uh dad his dad in a hot tub right with the yep. with the american flag uh, tight <laughs> uh bathing suit and the other one was Cy in a steam room if you remember that story <laughs> that Ray <laughs> just bumped uh bumped uh, naked into another man's chest <laughs> all right and finally uh number eight the bodyguard ends with whitney houston singing i will always i will always love you which is basically how Cy ends every episode <laughs> yeah i mean he did the, lately he's just he's been bailing quickly because he knows he's not getting it back but um but he knows how i how i feel about him i can't believe you came up with all those comparisons i mean that is like that number one you de- it proves you've listened because sometimes people come on and they go yeah no, i listen to the show and you're like yeah well Sai will be here next week and they're like Sai. <laughs> so so you know they don't they don't have any idea but um but no holy crap i'm definitely watching the bodyguard just to pick that stuff out that's so incredible that you even broke down the letters in the title <laughs> i hope that it's number one on itunes this week just because fans <laughs> fans want to write in about what they found yeah what if we go on netflix tomorrow and it's netflix's number one 
I mean, that would be absolutely incredible. Uh, so I'm just going to, in the middle of this all, I want to tell people that Kellen is going to be at Wise Guys, the downtown location in Salt Lake City, January 15th and 16th. That's this weekend coming up. And he also has a podcast called The Book Pile. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's brand new. It's like 12 episodes old. And it, first and foremost, it's a comedy podcast, like Funny's a Priority. But we, we take our talking points from choosing like the best ideas from our favorite books and how they've affected us. This It's one book per episode. We've done like Tidying Up, Marie Kondo, sure. On Writing by Stephen King. We've, uh, we're even going through uh, Harry Potter. We do a couple episodes a week. And this week, we're going to have you. We're going to talk about uh, your favorite novel. Which we found yeah, well, out. It's, it's, a, it's a novella. <laughs> it's only 88 pages. <laughs> the, I, I, listen, I hate to do that to you. I, I, won't corre- I won't correct you on your podcast, but this is my <laughs> podcast. Uh, no, it's, uh, it is The Old Man in the Sea. Yes. Uh, I love it so much. I carry extra copies with me and hand them out at airports. At least I used to before we were in a pandemic where you don't accept things from strangers. And that's that. <laughs> Did you really? Like, uh, yeah. like the, uh, the lighthouse? Wow. Yeah, if somebody was like, if somebody was reading a book or I saw them close a book on an airplane and they were done with it, I'd go, hey, man, we should try this. Oh, that's cool. I just think it's a fascinating book from all levels. I do, too. Uh, Yeah, I I read it every year. And I I always feel like um, I'm at a different place in my life, a different chapter. And so I take different things away from it. I read it differently. Different things are the sharks. Different things are the fish. Different things are... Santiago, different things are the boy, different things are the lion, you know, so it's just a, lo- a lot of different stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm so, I'm so excited to get into it for, for that same reason. Like, there are very few books where you can read it differently depending on where you are in life. Like, if you're yeah. rereading Harry Potter, you're never like, oh, wait, maybe I'm Hagrid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is James. I like dragon eggs. <laughs> I can't believe I just started collecting dragon <laughs> eggs, and I thought I was Hermoween. I love I love mispronouncing her name. That's what it looks like, Hermoween. You're gonna tell me it's Hermione. Get <laughs> well, out of here. Anyone who's uh, gonna correct you won't be able to beat you up, so it's safe to. <laughs> right, but it's like you know all these spells, and you can't flip the letters in your name to make it look right. Get out of here. All right, I'm going full moose in the morning. Hey, everybody, it's, uh, we got Kellen Erskine in the hot seat. It's good to be back on drive time. It's moose in the morning. Hey, you guys, we uh, came into you listening to Maroon 5 moves like Jagger, more like pukes from Jagger. Am I right, folks? Hey, hope you're not hung over on this Monday morning. Again, Kellen Erskine in the hot seat. Hey, Kellen, do you have any stories about Maroon 5? I have, you know how you you have those jokes that are tried and true. So no matter what what show you're doing, you know that you can at least rely on those, right? That are just, yeah. I call, I like to call them back pocket jokes. Absolutely, and they're yep. often like gold from the beginning, which is super rare too. First time you tell it, uh-huh. it just bats a thousand. So I have this joke about Maroon <laughs> Five that I've I've since retired, but I told it for years. And the idea the idea of the joke is that I'd love to buy all the tickets to a Maroon Five concert. Uh, go by myself and boo after every song. 
it's it's such a fun it was such a fun joke to tell because like people will come up to me after shows and be like why don't you say nickelback and it's like because you would say nickelback right like yes exactly. maroon five is fun yeah. because half the audience loves them right so yeah. that's that's what makes comedy more fun what am i a clean comic i'm not trying to please everyone <laughs> So then the rest of the joke, uh, it ends with something like uh, they'd come out and they'd be like, oh, I guess something was wrong. And I'd be like, uh, no, this is a this is a sold out show, Adam. Like, (laughs) why don't you stage dive? I want to listen to Maroon 4. That's the end of the joke. And so uh, a few years ago, I I did a show at this um, this in this gated community, this beautiful, like south of Orange County, golf course, everything, code to get in, people driving around in their golf carts to get to this this beautiful facility that they have in the middle of, of everything. The, oh, wow. the show is in this banquet hall, four or 500 people, and the show is go- like I had to get dressed up for it. Everything's Did going- it pay well? It paid very well. And Good for you. I was... <laughs> I was Robin Hooding it, and the show was going great until I got to the Maroon Five joke, and it got nothing. Like, <laughs> oh man! Now, just to let people know, when you have a back pocket joke mm. and something goes wrong with it, there's a little bit of haywire. It is like there's a dreadful feeling inside of your body it's unsettling your your brain is try it goes backwards it almost goes into fbi mode it's like well we're gonna play the tapes and figure out what went on here and we're gonna do this (laughs) and and when you can't make it connect oh it is like falling it's like free falling it was and there was no way for me to i couldn't think of a way to to sort of to come out of it but the bizarre thing was i did I did the rest of my jokes and everything picked up completely like zero to a hundred again, right after the joke. So it was so bizarre and it wasn't just a bomb. Cause like when you bomb, when a joke bombs, it it means that like, like maybe t- only 20% of people are laughing, but in a group of 500 sure. people, that still means a hundred people. This was zero people. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I did the entire set, but you know how it is. Like no matter how well the rest of the set goes, all you're thinking about is that one joke, right? Of course. What happened there? And so yeah. I did, I even did like my closing joke. I'd never done anything like this before, but it was so, so bizarre. As soon as I did my closing joke, I waited for the laughter and the applause to die down. And then I just, I said, I have to ask, what what was it about my Maroon 5 joke? And again, nobody says anything, but this woman in the front row, you know how people um, whisper and they think that they're whispering louder just because they're moving their mouth bigger? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> she looks at Picturing me. Picturing that is so funny. <laughs> she whispers, Adam Levine's parents live here. Oh, boy. <laughs> and I... Yes! <laughs> I, <laughs> I could not stop laughing. Oh, I, yeah. Once you figure out... Once you break the code and, and figure out what it is, it's... It's fantastic. Yeah, and it was, it was it was the most backwards end to any show 
because nobody heard what she said. She was just, she was aiming this whisper at me. So yeah. all anybody saw was I ended the show. I wait way too long. Usually you like, you like to walk off the stage as the laughter is fading and the clapping. It's uh-huh. a very, like a seamless transition. You just disappear into the ether like a superhero. But I, I had waited awkwardly till that was over. I asked everyone, <laughs> hey, why Maroon 5? What's wrong with that? And then nothing, and then I just laugh maniacally, put the mic in the stand, and walk out of the room laughing. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's so great. And it has to be part of it is is our ego going, I knew it was funny. (laughs) Yes. You didn't get me. I knew it was funny. It's because his stupid parents live here. A hundred percent. I I didn't care at all what his parents thought about a joke where his kid dies in it. Like that was for me. <laughs> it was knowing that I was I was going to be okay, and I just oh, walked that's out. so fantastic. And I I didn't stick around because there was this obvious like people didn't know were they there, were they not there. So it was just sort of this sure. unknowing. Should we laugh? Which to me makes it way more awkward. The fact that nobody laughed because I have other. Jokes jokes where I like where that are like violent or there's vandalism or you know I'm t- sure. telling jokes about pranks or whatever and people are totally on board with when I'm talking about stealing stuff but the moment <laughs> I hit maroon 5 everyone is like no sir that you are pushing the envelope I have every album living in those communities though don't you think that people are walking on eggshells nonstop because they don't want their reputation in the community to get ruined they don't it's like it's, it's equivalent to a small town where you don't want to yell at anyone in public because you probably are going to see them in church on Sunday. Oh, I, <laughs> I would love it if it was uh, it was like laughing at a Maroon 5 joke was in violation of the HOA. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't mow your lawn by five on Tuesday and now this? <laughs> Somebody's like, I can't do this. I already have two strikes. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's so great to think if if like his parents would have stood up and yelled at you and you were just like, you let him get way too many tattoos. This is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> just lean into it. <laughs> Holy crap. That is so funny. Uh, I'm just going to let you go. I mean, I, I'm looking at your list. I don't want to do moose in the morning. I think people are getting really sick of it. So... <laughs> But you also have a a story about opening for Jeff Dunham. And I've told a story where I opened for Jeff Dunham and got fired because I took my my socks off and put them on my hands and (laughs) used them as puppets. And so uh, I would love to hear yours to see how this goes. So my Jeff Dunham story is is that it was it was huge for me because it was you know that your first like big notch in the belt of comedy is being able to host shows. And so I was yeah. sort of in that that first year year and a half of actually getting paid fifty dollars to host a show, which means you take the bullet. You know it's the worst spot, uh, yep. and then you have to wait. After you do your eight minutes and then you have to wait an hour and a half just so that you can right. come out again and say, thank you. Good night. <laughs> yeah, right. I've never understood if, that part of it. But if you've ever seen a new comedian getting paid to host, he will count that $50 like it is 10,000. I mean, he is ripping the ones off the top 
and just really making it sound crisp. Oh, absolutely. At least I used to. Yes. And, and, and I've seen guys count it too because it's, it's a great time when you break through. You know, you've been doing open mics and you're finally like, all right, I get paid. And then after you get paid a couple times, you're like, I still have to wait around. What's going <laughs> yeah. on? You know, the entitlement sets in pretty. Yeah, quickly. absolutely. Well, it did for me for sure. <laughs> but I was still in this honeymoon stage. The great thing though was that like one of my home clubs was this was the San Jose Improv, which I don't I don't know if you've been okay. there, but it's way too big for a comedy club. Like it's 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 pretty much a theater, and I, I, it'd be nice if they just treated it that way because most of the time, uh, like it seats five hundred people, and wow. when you get a hundred people in a normal club, normal sized club, that's a good amount. It fills it up pretty good but when you get 100 sure. people in, in a room with 500 it doesn't go great so i've had I'd, I'd worked there a few times but with people that, that weren't really feeling it up but jeff dunham was just on the verge of like going into theaters and then into stadiums so he sold it out every night so it was my first experience Holy with crap. that yeah to to really feel what the energy of 500 people in a room that fits 500 feel like so the first show it was the the best set i had ever had up until that point in my in my career Things are going great. At one point, I was even making fun of the 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 balcony, uh, the the poor people on the balcony. I call them. <laughs> and at one point, um, this guy yells out, "I'm a millionaire, and I'm gonna kill you." Oh, but you know, you know how comedy clubs are. <laughs> this guy literally just committed a misdemeanor, but they won't kick him out because he's obviously buying drinks. <laughs> yeah. So, and then the, the bouncer goes up and goes, "I'm going to need you to stop making death threats on the comedian." And he's like, "I was just laughing. What do you mean?" <laughs> yeah, I just, I was just laughing. I just, but yeah, <laughs> I'm helping out. So, so that happens that I even yelled something back to him, like because he said I'm going to kill you, and I said something like, "What with your breath? Because you can't afford dental." Uh, so I'm like have this overconfidence. I'm feeling like a rock star. And everything's going great. And Jeff Dunham, the, the way that he had it set up when I was working with him is that he didn't have the host. You didn't have to introduce him. He had everything pre-produced. So all the host has oh, to wow. do is thank you, good night, walk off the stage. The lights dim. You can still sort of see the stage because the house lights are on, but the, the lights dim. And then it goes into this like you know house beat. And then ladies and gentlemen from the Tonight Show, you know this all this this big fanfare before he comes out. <laughs> And so that, that was supposed to happen. Um, but for me, I put the mic in the stand, almost dropping it. Like, that's how well the set went. Uh, put this guy in his place in the balcony. I put the mic in the stand, walk off to, to applause. And I get over to the side, and there's no – the light's dim, but there's no music. There's no announcement. And Jeff Dunham is standing there, and he goes, oh, the, uh, the staff didn't push the, the footlocker out for me. Could you do that? Oh, no. So then it's just me with this big footlocker with wheels on the bottom just... It's like a dog whistle for crowd members. Just like, what's going on over there? Oh, the the guy that told us where the bathrooms are has to wheel out his puppets. That's what it is. I'm on top of the world. Thanks, good night. And then 10 seconds later, everyone is like, oh, he just works here. It's nice that they let the bouncer do some time. The the guy in the balcony is like, I guess I'll spare his life. That that does suck when when you come off and you're riding just 
you know, this wave of laughter and everything has gone right. And then you realize where you are on the totem pole when Dunham goes, hey, uh, those dolls need to get out there. <laughs> Gotta bring those dolls out there. Comedy is such a... I don't know of any other thing where it's it's such a roller coaster, like an immediate roller coaster. Like the other time I can remember feeling that immediate shift was when I did Conan. You told your story about being on uh, Craig Kilborn. Like they, so, they always drive you out, like in a limo or a, mm-hmm. you know a, a black SUV with your family or your friends. They drive you out to the studio feel like a movie star. And I remember coming back in this Escalade after doing Conan and then transferring my son's baby seat from the Escalade <laughs> to my 2008 Scion hatchback. <laughs> that was like it was just another squeaky wheel moment. Yeah, there, there's always times. Like when I did Craig Kilborn, they gave me... There was a, uh, a new uh, casino in Las Vegas, but it was just outside. It wasn't on the strip. It wasn't downtown. And they gave you a three-night stay there because they wanted celebrities to go. And they wanted celebrities to talk about it and endorse it. Hmm. But they gave it to everyone that was on the show, including me. So I got there, and I have to hand them the certificate and the person at the front desk is reading it and just keeps looking at me and just goes, oh. And I was like, well, come on. <laughs> After I did Montreal uh, JFL, we uh, I got a bunch of meetings, you know, in, in L.A., Mm-hmm. which everyone does, you know, after that. And so, but I had never done anything like that. I was feeling, you feel like important because you're like, you're driving through the gates to these movie studios. And I remember driving yeah. in that very hatchback underneath MGM, which is like the most grand. There's a huge golden lion out front. I drive right. down, I'm instructed to go to the valet area. And this guy, he walks up to me with his suit and tie. And instead of like opening my door, he just wraps my window. So I, <laughs> I roll it down and he goes, are you delivering something? <laughs> awesome. It was so great to like, to just to walk out of the car and drop my keys in his hand and be like, hope you know how to drive stick. I can learn. That's from Boys in the Hood. Hey, everybody, it's Moose in the Morning. I am back. We got Kellen Erskine in the hot seat. Hey, it's true. Yeah, that was Oasis Wonderwall. Hey, I wonder when they're going to build that wall. Am I right, Oasis? Anyways, we are live in studio for drive time. Hey, Kellen, uh, you got a story about Albuquerque. Is that right? Yes. I know it's so dumb. So I uh, I was doing a show in Santa Fe, but I, I, I flew there a day early because I had just gotten into Breaking Bad and I wanted to to take pictures at all the Breaking Bad sites. So the first sure. one that I go to is a burrito place called Twisters, but in Breaking Bad, it's Los Pollos Hermanos. It's the chicken place where Walter White ah, nice. meets with. Yeah, so I go in there. There's nobody there. It's like 3 o'clock on a Thursday. I, I get a burrito, and I sit at the Walter White table. Like, this place has taken advantage. <laughs> of course they have. So I sit there. I'm eating it. And this um, this Breaking Bad tour bus pulls up, and when people walk in, like they were so excited to see me, and it's because like <laughs> someone, 
someone came up. I didn't realize at first. I'd just gotten into this show, and it was just when it was sort of becoming like uh, – it was the first thing that people like started binge-watching you know, on Netflix. Sure. Um, but I, I, look, I look like – like Jesse Pinkman, like Aaron Paul after 10 months of like COVID lockdown. I look, that's sort of <laughs> similar in that sense, but similar enough that people are coming up and taking pictures with me. And I was like, to the first guy, the first guy, I was like, uh, did you, you see me on Conan? And he was like, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> But then I found out why I didn't say I didn't say anything to them. I took pictures with everyone there, and then I went out and bought a gas mask, and I ended up taking selfies at all of the sites. And you can you can check oh, that wow. out on my Instagram. I have a a picture of me with the mask on my head right in front of Jesse Pinkman's house, which is a lot of fun. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah, there was a guy literally he he just lives there. <clears throat> he was washing his Subaru out front, and I was just like, "Sorry, I'm sure this happens a lot." He's just got to be like, "Come on!" <laughs> but that's I mean, you don't look like him, but you you look enough like enough. him. Enough, yeah. Where I could see where people. I mean, I've I've been to baseball games and when I was little and asked the wrong people for their autograph, thinking they were other people. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Just like, hey, are you Gary Gaetti? And they're like, uh, no, I work here. I sell hot dogs. And they're like, all right. With Cy, people are like, is that is that Gary Kemp? That's the guy who plays Cy in The Bodyguard. That was a deep cut. That was a deep cut. Um, all right. I got to hear the story about Bobby Slayton. For those of you who don't know who Bobby Slayton is, he is a comedian. He's known as the Bulldog. He's got a very raspy voice. The pit bull of comedy. Oh, what did I, what did I say? Bulldog. Oh, Bulldog. Well, th- this is how well I, I know Bobby Slayton. <laughs> I know that uh, there are times where, where he can be pretty crass, right? I oh, mean, he's, just, I, he's I, like racist. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm listen. I'm going to stop telling you about a guy I don't know and let you tell your story. He, he is crass, but that's fine. Like I don't have anything against that. But he's like he still does this like racist crowd work thing that was like done in 1987. <laughs> but I got to uh, this is it's like a hero's journey. Because the the first time I worked with him, I hosted for him at the San Francisco Punchline, which is a great club. Uh, but you yep. also you don't choose who you host with. You're you're just happy to get the work, as you were saying Absolutely. before. That fifty dollars, you pin it to your wall. So I go there, I I do my set, and then when I finally bring him out, usually you shake the comic's hand as you're walking off the stage. And right. he grabs the mic, says, "Hey, give it up for your host." But instead, what he does uh, is he he shook my hand, and then he pulled me over to the mic. And this is like a real power move that I hate when someone else is holding a microphone and they have control over when you talk. Sure. It's a real like news anchor move, you know? Like yeah. I'm the one getting paid here. So <laughs> you will speak when spoken to. <laughs> so he he pulls me in. And there's also this sort of unspoken rule in comedy that you don't bash the other comics on the show, especially the host, right? When you're oh, I didn't know like about that rule. Seasoned headliner. <laughs> so he pulls me in with his arm around my shoulder, and he just starts making these like homophobic jokes about me. Sure. And then I get to just sort of crawl off the stage when he's done with me, and I just that took sounds it. fun. 
I wasn't like very assertive at the time and I was just like I hadn't hosted a lot and I was just like I guess this is what you do it just it's like being in junior high again so it wasn't a fun week fast forward to two years later I get asked to to middle for him at the San Jose improv so this sounds like a great spot the middle like you were saying before it's the second spot you don't have to do any hosting work that guy's already bit the bull it's the sweet spot in the show right there's no pressure you're not the headliner so you're not expected to draw a crowd you're just there to do your best 20 minutes and get out of there so I thought it was great for me um, but I had to I had to cancel a hosting gig at another club which is terrible to do like basically burning a bridge with this other club, but I'm getting yeah. paid. Now I'm getting paid a hundred dollars. Right. Off. So it's amazing. So I confirm again with Jim, the manager of the improv, like you're sure this is cool. And he's, yeah, like, he said, yeah, I talked to him today. doesn't have a feature. He needs a feature. He needs a, he needs a middle act. So night of the show, I get there an hour early and Bobby Slayton and the manager are standing in the improv lobby while the servers are getting everything ready. Bobby Slayton doesn't say a word to me. He's on his Blackberry, and I walk up to them <laughs> to meet Bobby Slayton, and instead of getting introduced to Bobby Slayton, uh, because he didn't obviously remember me from the first time, Jim, the manager, says, I'm so sorry Bobby brought his own middle act, Robert Duchesne. And I was like... Wow. Like, first of all, this is a, this is so much money for me to lose out on, and I canceled this other gig. But Jim was right. he was so cool about it. He said, "I get it. Let me go write you a check for the week, and you can just go." And so that that sort of made it better. But I was still upset. Like I was looking forward to this is my the first time I'd ever featured i'd ever you know middle yeah. through someone so then bobby slayton he still doesn't say anything to me but then as jim is finally coming down the stairs with the check bobby slayton he's he's looking at his phone and he goes this kid keeps dming me on on twitter to do a guest spot and now a guest spot for everyone is it's usually like someone will do five minutes but usually it's like a friend of the headliner will come right. and be like hey can i do five somewhere before you go up sure but this guy's just damning me on just this comic that the who bobby slayton doesn't know so bobby slayton just asks me first thing he said to me he goes this guy keeps dming me to do a guest spot on the show tonight um i should say no right and i said no what you should do is tell him that he can and then when he gets here (laughs) tell him that he can't because you brought your own guest spot And I grab the check and I start walking to the door and he's like, obviously the guy that has to have the the last word. So he's like after me, he's like, good. Uh, That was cute. Too bad. Too bad. You're not performing tonight. And I just, I waved without turning around. I waved the check in the air and I said, I just did. And I walked out. (laughs) Never worked with him again. Oh man. Well, bummer. Seems like it's, uh, it would have been great for you. Dude, this is this is so fun. And the fact that you listened to this show and the fact that you came up with that list from the bodyguard. I mean, <laughs> so incredible. I uh, I've seen the full Maroon 5 joke mm. and I absolutely love it. I mean, like I said, I saw you that one night and I became an instant fan. If you guys have not heard Kellen's stuff, please look it up. Please go get it. Um so funny again this weekend he's going to be at wise guys downtown and i'll be on his podcast the book pile uh thursday so if you want to listen to that you sure can but 
Man, oh man, so good having you on. I really appreciate you being here. Oh, this is super fun, man. Well, good seeing you, and uh, I got to go. Hey, if you guys like this, uh, there will be a new episode next Monday and every single Monday at 8 a.m., so click the subscribe button so your phone sends it to you without having to do any work.